In many parts of the world, the pain of persecution is a harsh daily reality for Christians. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series on Jesus' letters to seven types of churches with a focus on the persecuted church. Having endured the agony of crucifixion, Christ's words to the suffering are well worth taking to heart. To introduce his message, The Suffering Church, here's David. Well, thank you for joining us today. Today we open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11 as we talk about uh, the letter that was written by Christ to the church in Smyrna, which is the suffering church. Um, this church suffered because they would not bow the knee to to the idols of their day. And uh, what happened to them and the suffering they endured and the letter that was written to them, that's the focus of our attention today on Turning Point. We are very excited about this series, and one of the things that will make it come alive for you is if you can get your hands on the study guide that goes with it. The study guide gives you the information uh, that we talk about on the air, along with questions for application that will help you um, process this information and make it very practical to your own life. You can get the study guide by going to our website. There you'll have all the information. And along with the study guide is a series of uh, CDs that give you uh, the audio for all of this study as well. Before we get into the lesson... Uh, I wanted to remind you that there's a very special thing you can do during this month that we, we love sending this chart. A lot of people are very concerned about how does prophecy look? How is it spaced out? What is the connection of one event to the other? Well, we've put together a very beautiful prophecy chart that locates all the prophetic events as they should be located in sequence. And uh, this is just something we'd like to say to you. You don't have to send any money. Uh, you don't have to do anything. Just say, please send me the prophetic chart, and it will take you through the book of Revelation and show you how all of these things fit together. I hope you will do that and give us the opportunity to send this to you. Uh, we'll send it to you uh, in a letter envelope, and you'll have it to follow along as we move through this study. Well, our Bibles are open to Revelation chapter 2. Here is the letter from Christ Jesus to the suffering church in Smyrna. We are studying the letters that were written by John from the Isle of Patmos where he had been exiled for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He wrote these letters to some churches that were in a circle that he could see from the Isle of Patmos and he wrote the letters in sequence as the churches were around that circle. And we studied the letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, telling them what a great church they were, with one exception, they did not have their first love. We're going to study the second letter, which is a very short letter, beginning at the eighth verse in the second chapter, we read these words. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. 
be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What do you say to somebody who is suffering? How do you counsel people who are going through great times of sorrow and tribulation? What would you say to an individual whose family has been torn apart because of the stand they have taken for Christ? What if your neighbor has lost his job and was experiencing poverty? How would you reach out to him and what would you say? We have all been in this awkward position at one time or another as friends and counselors. We have done our best, given it our best shot, and often have walked away from our conversations wondering if what we said was the right thing said in the right way. Wouldn't it be great if there were a page of the Word of God with exactly the right words to say for each situation that we face? I mean, something like a counseling manual with an index. Well, the more you study the Bible and the more you realize you have precisely that kind of book, the more anxious you are to know more and more about what the Bible says because ultimately it provides you the best answers. As you become familiar with every section and message in the Scripture, you are able little by little to locate central passages on almost every situation in life. Here before us is our Lord's own formula for encouraging those who are going through suffering and sorrow and pain. It is a personal letter written to a church that was living in tremendous pressure. Please take note, because you are going to need what Jesus said to this church sometime in your life. Suffering, you see, touches every one of our lives at one time or another. We cannot avoid it, and preparing for it is something that always makes us stronger. And the church of Smyrna that we just mentioned in the letter that was sent to her was located 35 miles north of Ephesus. It was founded as a Greek colony on the summit of the hill of Pagos, about 1000 B.C. Smyrna was captured and destroyed by hostile forces in 600 B.C. General Lysimachus, one of Alexander's four generals, rebuilt the city in 300 and 281 B.C. It was a matter of pride with the inhabitants of Smyrna that their city had died and had lived again. Smyrna was the proudest and most beautiful city of Asia and is considered by historians as the most beautiful city the Greeks ever built. The city sloped to the sea. Its splendid buildings on the rounded top of the hill of Pegas constituted what was known as the crown of Smyrna. And along the slopes of the hill was one of the largest Greek amphitheaters, accommodating over 20,000 people. The coins of Smyrna boasted that she was the first city of Asia. Some called Smyrna the glory of Asia. It was here that Caesar worship was centered for all of the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And beside all of this, 
Smyrna was the birthplace of Homer, the great Greek poet. The city is today known as Ismar, the Turkish corruption of the word Smyrna. It is by far the largest metropolis in Asia Minor today, and it has a population of over 275,000 people. The city got its name, Smyrna, from its chief export, an aromatic extract taken from a thorny tree, an extract that was used by the ancients as a perfume and as an anesthetic and as an embalming fluid. The word Smyrna actually occurs three times in the New Testament in connection with Jesus Christ. See if you can pick it up as I share it with you. At the birth of Jesus, when the wise men came from the east and opened their treasures, they presented Jesus with gold, frankincense, and Smyrna. (laughs) At the crucifixion of Jesus, those who stood by offered our Lord wine mixed with Smyrna. To help deaden the pain of his suffering. At the burial of Jesus, Nicodemus came with Joseph of Arimathea. And the two men took the body of Jesus down from the cross. They wrapped his body with linen. And in the folds of the linen, they placed a hundred pound weight of aloes and Smyrna. Isaiah the prophet has an interesting omission in his prediction concerning the second coming of Christ. Listen to Isaiah 60, verse 6. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that when he talks about the second coming, myrrh, or Smyrna, is left out. Jesus will never again come to this earth with myrrh as the suffering Savior. When he comes again, he will be the sovereign Savior, and there's no need for Smyrna when he returns. Now, no one knows for sure how the church in Smyrna got started. Its history is not written in the book of Acts, as many of the churches of the New Testament are. Most probably it was started as an outreach of the church in Ephesus. Remember, it was only 35 miles away by sea. Paul had directed a three-year campaign, the Bible says, when he was in Ephesus, and he caused all of Asia to hear the word of God. That surely would have included the little island of Smyrna. And the word Smyrna perfectly describes the church. The Christians in this city were persecuted, and as one writer says, they were lying embalmed in the precious spices of its suffering. Even the process of manufacturing myrrh matched the situation in the church. You see, myrrh was made by crushing a plant, and from the crushing of this plant was extracted the perfume or the beautiful embalming fluid or the beautiful balm, which was myrrh. And this is one of the two churches in the list of seven churches to which the Lord does not say anything negative. He doesn't say anything negative. Remember, Ephesus was a good church, but the Lord said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. When you read the letter to the Smyrnians, you don't find anything that he says that's negative. What was there about this congregation that caused it to suffer so much? So much so that myrrh is a significant representation of the church itself. Well, I think, first of all, the church was despised and disdained in the city because of its insignificance. 
Think with me about this for just a moment. On the street of the gods in the city of Smyrna, or the golden street in Smyrna, were huge, impressive shrines to Sybil and Apollo. At the end of the street, elevated above the city, was the temple of Jupiter. But where were the Christians in Smyrna to be found? They were huddled in homes, hiding in the catacombs, quietly worshiping the Lord. The pagan Jews and the Greeks of the city abhorred and despised the simplicity of these early Christians, and they persecuted them simply because they had no standing in the city whatsoever. But perhaps the real reason for the persecution of Christians in Smyrna lies in the worship of Caesar, which was centered in that city. Smyrna was the first city ever to build a temple to honor Rome and Tiberius the emperor. To the average Christian, Rome has always been held in disrepute because of the published reports of her cruel treatment of the church. We consider the Romans kind of like tyrants, but the people of that day did not consider Rome like that at all. The citizens of Rome loved their government. The Pax Romana, or the peace of Rome, took from the Roman people the fear of any kind of war. War was abolished simply because Rome had become so strong that no one could ever attempt to attack her. And the Roman government was also responsible for linking together the great systems of roads that pushed the empire into an almost instant touch with one another. The Romans banished pirates from the high seas and they established a system of law that governed the disputes of the people. No, no, no. If you lived in Rome back in those days, you loved Rome. Rome made everything work for you. Rome took care of all your needs. You didn't despise Rome at all. The Roman Empire was a blessing to the people, and the people were very grateful, and they were willing to worship the spirit of Rome. But when it became difficult to worship the spirit of Rome, it was just a small step to begin worshiping the spirit of Rome as it was personified in the emperor himself. The emperors began to be worshipped, and at first they resisted it. Then reluctantly they accepted it, and finally not only did they accept it, they expected it, and actually began to accrue to themselves the attributes of deity. By the time the book of Revelation was written, emperor worship was compulsory. John was banished to Patmos, and the churches were persecuted because they would not bow down to Caesar and declare their loyalty to Rome. They refused to burn a pinch of incense in the temple dedicated to the emperor and confess, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. They refused to do that. And because the Christians refused to burn that little pinch of incense, they were marked men and women. They were considered traitors. They were disloyal to the government. The persecution was not so much religious as it was political. To be a Christian in the Roman Empire was to live in jeopardy every day. And in Smyrna, a city that prided itself as the center of emperor worship, it meant pressure and poverty and persecution. Some Christians in Smyrna were tortured on the rack which was a wheel about two feet wide and about eight feet tall. The ankles of the dissenter would be chained to the floor and his wrists 
to the wheel or the rack. And every time the believer was asked to recant and refused, the rack would be tightened until his limbs were actually torn from his body. Other Christians were burned in boiling oil. Others were crucified. Many were thrown to the hungry lions before 50,000 bloodthirsty people in the Colosseums. The most painful torture was to be burned slowly at the stake. No, my friends, the suffering of the Christians in Smyrna is described for us in Christ's letter by three words, pressure, poverty, and persecution. Notice as you look at your Bibles, I know your tribulation. In the letter to the church, Jesus says, I know your tribulation. And the word tribulation is the Greek word flipsis, which means pressure. The picture is one of placing a heavy rock upon a man's chest until it crushes him to death. It is like the grinding of a millstone until wheat is produced. It is like the pressure that squeezes wine out of the grapes. The Christians were under constant pressure from the pagan society around them. There was never a moment of any relief. There was never a day off. It was constant, uninterrupted pressure. And they also experienced poverty. Notice it says in the text, I know your poverty. There are two key words for poverty in the New Testament language. The first word is the word penia, P-E-N-I-A. We get our word penny from that word. The word in John's day referred to a man who had to work for a living and just got by. He was a poor man forced to work hard in order just to survive. But there's another word for poverty in the New Testament, and that's the word tokia. It means absolute poverty. It means beggarly. It means destitute. This word was reserved to describe someone who was absolutely, utterly without any means of supporting himself at all. It describes a man who was unable to put food on his table. In the midst of the wealth of this ancient city, the believers were tokia. They were penniless and poor and were suffering from abject poverty. Their poverty was due to their faith in Christ. Not only were they mobbed and looted and robbed, they were boycotted in the city. When people knew that they were followers of Christ, they were banned from making a living. The trade unions and the businesses shut them out because they considered them disloyal to the emperor and thus to the empire. Now there's a kind of heroic excitement to persecution. Under such pressure, many daring and exciting things are accomplished. But if you add to persecution daily financial and family burdens, the load is almost too heavy to bear. And such was the experience of the Christians who lived in Smyrna. They suffered from pressure and poverty and persecution. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The word blasphemy might better be translated here by our word slander. A group of unbelieving Jews had been drawn to Smyrna because of the business opportunities generated by the myrrh business. And they were probably Jewish converts 
who did not want to leave the synagogue or the Jewish traditions, and they tried to marry the works of Judaism and the grace of Christianity. And Ephesus had men who said they were apostles and were not, and Smyrna had men who said they were Jews and were not. And they persecuted the people. They caused them great harm in every way they moved. Every day in Smyrna, things became worse and worse for men and women who called the name of Christ. Now, to this suffering family of believers, Jesus writes this letter, and he tells them two things. I want you to see what he said. This is where the advice of the Lord to suffering people comes in. One is a negative prohibition, and the other is a positive instruction. The first thing he says to them in verse 10 is, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now that sounds a bit naive on the part of the Lord. The church in Smyrna was to face the trials that we have talked about, and Jesus comes to them and says, do not let your life be controlled by fear. It's almost like what David said in the 23rd Psalm with which we are so familiar Fear not. Don't have any fear of evil. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus comes to the people of Smyrna with a simple instruction. I don't want you to be afraid. Suffering, imprisonment, and martyrdom are to be met with the gracious word of the Lord don't be afraid. You say, Pastor, that's easy to say, not so easy to do. If there's any one emotion that I think people have felt during these days we're experiencing right now, it's kind of a quiet fear. Where is this all going? What's going to happen? What's going to happen in our culture? What's going to happen in our economy? What's going to happen in our faith? And if we're not careful, we can allow our lives to be run by fear. And the Lord Jesus comes to us in the midst of our troubles and says to us, Fear not, for I am with you. And someone has said, as you know, there are 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. I actually tried to count them, and I came up a few short. So if you know where those are, I'd appreciate you telling me. But there's a lot of fear nots in the Bible, especially in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of his great messages to us from his birth throughout his whole life is, if you have me, you don't have to be afraid, for I have overcome the world. If you're going through a lot of stuff, maybe you think I'm going to tell you to buck up and try harder and work harder. All I want to say to you is what Jesus said to the church in Smyrna. Don't be afraid. You don't have to fear what is happening, what may happen fear not. And that is a message so needed today. I cannot tell you how many times over the course of even one week, I run into people who are dealing with fear, people who are successful, people who are prosperous, and yet for some reason, uh, the enemy has gotten through uh, into their heart and deposited a spirit of fear. If ever there was a group of people who had a reason to be afraid, it was the people in that suffering church in Smyrna. But the message of the Lord to them 
is the same as that which he gives to us. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I will never leave you. You can count on it in the midst of even the most difficult times. You can trust the Lord Jesus, and you do not have to fear. In the meantime, uh, let me encourage you to get your own copy of this book called The Book of Signs that we have put together, uh, and it's 400-plus pages. It is um, 4,000-word articles on prophetic topics. We've tried not to leave anything out. We've put together everything that uh, is a part of the prophetic scheme. And uh, this comes complete with some charts and lots of scripture, footnotes. You can find all of the things you're looking for by going to the indexes. And you will find this to be a very helpful volume for your prophetic study. And you can get your copy during the month of March for a gift of any size to Turning Point. And be sure to request your copy of the Book of Signs. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's informative book, The Book of Signs. 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue The Seven Churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. We've all heard this piece of good advice. Problems should be approached with an open mind. That is, when faced with a problem to solve, we need to be open to a solution arising from an unexpected place. But former Illinois governor and U.S. presidential candidate Adlai Stevenson made an observation about problem solving that bears thinking about. 
Instead of approaching problems with an open mind, he said, some people approach every problem with an open mouth. Opening one's mouth before opening one's mind and heart to what God wants to do can be dangerous. Unless our words are a prayer asking God for His guidance and His wisdom. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's guidance on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.